Change family and extended family. Thank you. Uh, We're in Hebrews chapter 13 uh, today. Again, we're going to launch from there. And for those of us uh, maybe who are just joining us for this week because uh, you're here with your family, we're glad you're here. Uh, And those of us who need a little catching up, let me uh, tell you where we are and where we're going today. We're in a series called Welcome to Church. And we've been talking about uh, what it is that the Lord uh, says he's going to accomplish in the church, uh, his mission, his purpose, uh, his plan. Uh, He cares about the church. He has plans for the church. He's committed to the church. And so if that's the case, what we've been looking at then, if if the, the church is the vehicle in which God has said he is going to accomplish his mission, then there are also ways in which we should pay attention to the way that we do church and that we live among one another. In other words, we should, we should be the church that Christ wants to use to accomplish his mission, right? And so if we're going to do that, then we have to play by his rules. We have to look at the way that Christ has ordained his church, the instructions that he's given us about his church, and that's the way that we live. And so we've been looking at five commitments that uh, we say uh, what it means to be a part of the church, especially exchange church. Uh, but we would say this is universal uh, among any church because it's all based in Scripture. And so the first one that we came to, the commitment uh, that we say, I commit to pursue community uh, and embrace accountability. Arrows out, meaning I, I come to this group of people and I place my arrows out, my mentality out. I'm looking for others. I'm watching for them. I'm loving them. I'm caring for them. It's not me coming in saying, who talked to me today? It's me coming to church saying, who can I engage today? The next one that we've been talking about uh, last week and this week is this uh, one that says, I, I commit to submitting to the care, correction, and the protection of leadership. And this one levels up a little bit, but it's all based in Scripture, and that's where we're going to go to today. Uh, And what's incredible about the the passage and the path that we have today is this. Uh, We're going to talk about how to disagree. How to disagree. Uh, Last week, we talked about this this whole principle in Scripture uh, of submitting to uh, leadership, submitting to authority that God has placed in your life. And so this week, we're talking about how to disagree when you disagree. So... This is an incredible lesson for us all. This can actually help you no matter what relationship you are navigating in this way. I believe these are all biblical principles that will help you be successful in your marriage, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, with friends and family, and especially the church. So I don't know if uh, you realized it when you woke up this morning, but today is October 1st. Do you guys know that? Uh, so the official first day of fall was like a week or so ago. It's, uh, I think, September 22nd or 23rd or something like that. Uh, but I, I think October just, it goes along with fall, doesn't it? It just, October is the month of fall, I feel like. Maybe I'm wrong in that. Maybe uh, when you think of things like pumpkins, you think of fall. You think of October. When you see them, uh, you just put it together. There's things that go together well in life, and then there's things that are absolutely inseparable in life, right? Uh, So some of those things are like pumpkin spice lattes, right? 
those go with fall. Uh, you can have them outside of fall. Maybe you can convince your barista to make you one in June. Uh, but as soon as you taste that first sip, it kind of takes you back to fall. It takes you back to this season. Uh, tall boots for ladies, right? Like uh, those go together with fall. Some of you are waiting for today to put those boots on. And this is your moment. This is your moment. Uh, you've got a few months left. Rock them, right? Uh, there are things, of course, uh, that don't just complement each other. They go together. It's, they're inseparable. Uh, the beach and sand, right? It happens. Um, babies, and diapers, and sleep exhaustion, right? They go together. You can't separate the two. Uh, teenagers and messy rooms. It, you cannot have one without the other, right? Uh, people have them too. Uh, sometimes uh, you, you see a person and you think of certain things, right? You probably, uh, with me, you think farming analogies. That's what you get when you talk to Brian. Right? Uh, when you talk to my youngest son, Levi, uh, when you see his name, uh, you immediately see a question mark in your like, mental image because he's full of questions, right? Like He wants to know all the details about all the things so he can make all the plans. You can't have Todd Smyre without sweat. You can't, you, you can't do it. It doesn't exist. Doesn't exist, right? Uh, Ray Jezik without Star Wars. You can't have Jesse without the beard, right? True story. One time he tried to shave it and it broke the clippers. It's just, it's like I'm not, I'm, I refuse for this beard to leave my face, right? It has a mind of its own. Uh, Daniel and like big eyes, eyes and big smile. Like anytime you talk to Daniel, if you have a conversation with him, at some point in this conversation, he's going to go like this. <laughs> it just happens. And I love it, right? Like it just happens. He gets so excited about whatever you're talking about, right? Um, but it goes with the church as well, right? You can't have the church without people. And even serious, more serious things, you, you can't have forgiveness without sin, and you can't have submission without disagreement. It, it can't exist. Submission is a biblical principle inserted for the times that we disagree. It's not that they go well together. It's not that submission is complementary when we disagree. It's, it's that submission is only submission when we disagree. And so if this biblical principle is here for us, especially in the church, that we would submit to those placed in authority over us. And remember, I can only preach this sermon because nothing applies to you that does not apply to me. I have six pastors, elders who I submit to as well. And so when we talk about this, we should be very, very careful uh, that we learn how to do this well. I want to um, review a few passages that we looked at last week that just lay the foundation for where we are in this principle of biblical submission. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. This big, big, weighty uh, thing for leaders. It says that those leaders, pastors, shepherds, elders, will give a, an account for your soul. 
So you should be kind to them, obey them, and do this with joy, not with grief, or it would be unprofitable for you. First Peter 5, verse 1, he says this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed, shepherd the flock that's among you, exercising oversight. For the pastors to say, keep watch, careful watch, exercise your biblical role of oversight here. Um, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sword gain, but with eagerness, not lording authority over those that have been allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. First Thessalonians 5 verse 12 says it this way, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you. In another way, he says this, that, that you appreciate those who God has placed in authority over your life. In the Lord and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Acts 20 verse 28 says, Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. It sounds difficult, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds really hard, especially when our social media feeds and our favorite cynical blogs tell the stories of pastors who misuse money and abuse people, especially when we've been hurt and our friends or family have been hurt by pastors who acted in a way that they shouldn't. And I'll acknowledge that that's hard, but I want to remind you of an important statement that we uh, made continually, that this was equally hard for me as it is for you. It should be, right? Because nothing applies for you that does not apply for me or our other pastors. I think it's hard sometimes submitting to my pastors. Let me, say, let me say that again. Sometimes it's hard for me to submit to my pastor. Ed is a terrible person. I'm joking, I'm joking, joking, joking. Let me, let me say it this way. Uh, so, so you submit to your pastors, and, and most often like the, the interactions, we interact throughout the week, but I might say something or do something on a Sunday morning. It's one day out of the week that you have the opportunity to, to disagree. Ed and I work together five days a week. I, there's days, just like with your spouse, that you disagree. And you know what? Sometimes it's hard because we're people to submit. This is equally hard for me sometimes, some days, to submit to my pastors in an elder meeting or wherever we're at, to submit my disagreements and to say, hey, listen, I want to honor you in the position that God has placed you over me. The question is this, who sold you on the lie that things like this are going to be easy? That following Jesus is going to be easy. That walking in the way that he has ordained and structured his church is going to be easy. Who showed you on the lie that the things of Christ and the way of the church is going to be easy at all? And so when we look at these things and we think, wow, man, that's, that's really hard. That's really harsh. That's really like, that's black and white. Submit to your authority. That's, there's not a lot of room for nuance there. The question is, is who sold you that there should be or that there was? Right, the culture, I would answer the question. The culture has said, uh, th- this is the way that you do it. And when you disagree, you just cancel and you leave. But what does it look like to biblically submit like this? 
So when we turn the pages of Scripture that He's given up to us, that He's given for us, and things are really, really, really hard, it starts here. Do we submit to the words on these pages? And so when Scripture asks us to submit to those that God has placed in authority of us, do we just turn the page quickly and pretend we never saw that, or do we dig in and really learn how we do this? Remember last week we looked at this biblical uh, principle of submission, not subjection. It's the way that God has ordered His church. It's the way that God has ordained the vehicle for His mission. So we've got to figure this out, even when it's hard. And when our disagreements are more than surface level, we have to do this well. So today, all of my points, all of our pauses are questions. All of my pauses are questions. So I would encourage you to do this. Uh, I would encourage you to write these questions down and use them any time that you have a disagreement, especially with someone who's an authority over you. This is a great, I, I believe this is a great filter to put in place any time our disagreements are going to or have the potential to result in conflict. This is biblical principles on how to do this. All right, we're going to start in Hebrews 12, verse 14. It says this, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without, uh, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by, may, uh, and by it many be defiled. He talks about this idea that just a little seed of bitterness can root down, if we're not careful, and destroy us. And so I think one thing, one way that we have to do with disagreement, sometimes we, we take this approach. We do nothing. We say nothing. We just, we just act like or try to pretend like it doesn't exist. And what Scripture says is that actually, that little seed there, if we're not careful, will root down in our lives and in our hearts and create roots of bitterness. So... The best thing to do in disagreement is not just to simply say nothing. It's it's to deal with it. So here's the first question. I think when disagreements come up, (coughs) excuse me, when disagreements come up, here's the first question that I would push you towards. What is the Holy Spirit attempting to do in me through this disagreement? What is the Holy Spirit attempting to do in me through this disagreement? I would push you to James 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let its endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What James is saying here is is in conflict, in disagreement, there's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to refine you in a way that he cannot do in moments of perfect peace and steadiness. It's through the fire that he changes us, that he refines us. So the first question that we don't want to ever miss is this, what does the Holy Spirit want to do in me through and in this process? Through this disagreement, through this struggle, through this trial, what does the Holy Spirit want to do in me? 
I think the first thing that we should do at the very beginning of a disagreement, one that possibly has the ability to create a root of bitterness, is to pray and to ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in me? Now, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal and expose the places of our hearts that he wants to desperately refine through this. Maybe it reveals something that you weren't expecting. Maybe the Spirit is quick to help you see the plank in your eye when you, uh, in your disagreement when you see the speck in your brother's or your pastor's eye. And that sometimes can be the case. I think uh, what's interesting is that Ed and I have done this. We've pastored together for 10 years. We've pastored together for 10 years. And there have been probably just a few moments where we've disagreed to the point where we both really, really cared about what it was that we wanted to accomplish or what it was that we wanted to do. There have been zero disagreements where we refused to talk to each other. There have been zero disagreements where we disrespected one another. There have been zero disagreements where we've had to walk away We simply sit down and talk and understand that we respect one another and want to listen. That's where it begins. That's where it starts with respect and knowing that I may be wrong here. See, there's this posture. I want to be clear about this. There's a posture of submission and there's an act of submission, right? Both are necessary. But the act of submission is not possible. We'll talk about this a little bit later on. The, the actual act and honoring act of submission is not possible without the posture of submission. I've seen that done, and I'll tell stories about that later. It can't happen. So we embrace this posture of submission and humility, which says, I want to sit down with you and learn because I don't know everything. I could be wrong here. And the Spirit is asking me to walk through this in the case that he wants to teach me something. And this is a good practice for us. If if there's ever a disagreement, we we search the heart of God to say, God, what is it that you want to do in me? He's going to use this disagreement to refine both of us. I think too often in disagreement, we feel like one person is 100% right and the other person is 100% wrong. In our relationships, we bat a thousand and they have never even foul tipped one. That's the way that we approach these things. But refinement comes when we say, God, I know that you want to do something in me. Even if my argument is correct, would you refine my posture here? Would you help me be more like you in this? The second question, after we ask ourselves and ask the Spirit, God, what are you trying to teach me here? This is a really, really important question. And I I would say that this goes especially for the church, especially for the church. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, in context today. Is the gospel at stake in this disagreement? Is the gospel at stake in this disagreement? Paul tells Titus in uh, Titus 1 verse 9, he says this, holding fast to the faithful word, which is accordance to the teaching. He's instructing the elders here, the pastors, so that he will be able to, to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. 
Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, tells us, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So Jesus warns us that there will be some teachers, especially in the church, that come to you, and at first, their teaching is very good. It's sound. It's correct. That's how they woo you in, right, to their false teachings. And then their teachings begin to stray and divert from the gospel. Jesus himself says that we should beware of these things. So I'm going to say this and I'm going to nuance it, but I'm going to make a a statement. If your pastor or pastors at the current moment, or if God moves your family geographically and you find yourself uh, at another church with a new pastor, if your pastor or pastors are preaching anything that contradicts scripture and puts the gospel at stake, you should leave that church. Let me say that again. If your pastor or pastors are preaching a different gospel than the scriptural or biblical gospel, you should leave that church. Now, I'm going to nuance it in this way. Instead of going to him and telling him, but not immediately, right? Uh, We'll add to this later. You should ask a question first. If your pastor preaches a gospel that's not the gospel, you should ask a question first. Hey, it sounded like you said this. Can you help me understand what you're, what you're saying there? When I read scripture, these are the things that, that I see that are true. And it sounded like what you said it contradicts that. Can you help me understand your point? We begin with questions, right? And so if the posture is unrepentant, if there's a, a theology that's anti-scripture, if it seems like there's a thread in the teaching that constantly contradicts the gospel, I would encourage you at that point, I would encourage you to leave that church. You have to when the gospel is at stake. You seek to understand, and if you believe uh, what you believe is verified to be true, an unrepentant mishandling of Scripture occurs, then you should leave that church, whether you like it or not. You should leave that church. The second thing about this question (laughs) would push us even further in. If the gospel's not at stake, if the correct gospel is being preached, then this would be a second question you would ask specifically about the church. Has the pastor or pastors acted in a way that's immoral or unethical? Have the pastor or pastors acted in a way that's immoral or unethical? Uh, this is a this is a interesting passage in First Timothy five. Paul's in, instructing Timothy about elders. He's instructing them about the authority in the church. And he says this: the elders who rule well uh, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, "You should not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the laborer is worth his wages." Do not receive an accusation against an elder on the basis of two or three witnesses. But those who continue to sin, talking about an elder or a pastor, someone who has been accused of something, has been verified by witnesses, and then they continue to sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. That's that's a very steep and stark warning, isn't it? That if a pastor or elder continues to live in sin after being approached, that they would be called in front of the congregation and rebuked in that way. 
So, Ray, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Just joking. Just joking. I mean, it's a stark warning. He takes it seriously. Scripture takes the character, the morality, the ethics of pastors very, very seriously. And so should you. Paul gives extensive warnings, but not exhaustive, uh, to the list of qualifications of pastors and elders in Timothy and in Titus. And I think if a pastor violates those without repentance, there's a key word there, without repentance, and I would even say some with repentance, it severs our ability to trust them and therefore submit to them. And so when that's the case, sometimes we are forced to leave a church. When the leadership there is not placing themselves under accountability, when they're acting in ways that are immoral and unethical, we sometimes are forced to leave a church. There's times where you you would be forced to look at your pastors and say, you are not lining up with how Christ has asked us to live. I cannot follow your example. A while back, uh, there was a disagreement with the family. I told you I was going to come with a couple stories, but uh, the disagreement was not inherently biblical. So the disagreement was made uh, to be moral um, because the elders were, were doing something or not doing something, uh, then we were accused of, of not loving our brother. And it's a tough one because love for your brother can be weaponized against any cause. You can say things like, you didn't say this about this news story. You clearly don't love your brother, right? You aren't giving a percentage of our budget to this cause. You clearly don't love your brother. You didn't speak out against this political agenda that marginalizes some. You clearly don't love your brother, right? And you can see how ways, how we can weaponize this idea of loving our brother in almost any way. Uh, But on this occasion, uh, it was. And so we had a meeting where the majority of our elders, all but one in the room, um, were there. And this, this couple looked at everyone in the room, and I'll never forget this, uh, this was kind of just, it, it was one of the most shocking moments of, of being a pastor for me. They read this letter and they looked at every single elder in the eye. And they said that none of us in the room were fit to be pastors and that they questioned the salvation of us all, that we were reprobates. If that's ever the case, where you doubt my salvation. If that's ever the case where you doubt the salvation and relationship with Jesus of the elders that serve our church, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, please leave. You can't follow our example. The only thing that you can do is go somewhere where you respect them enough to be able to obey scripture in this way. And if you don't even think that we're saved, you have to leave. You have to leave. Because you have to, scripture says you literally have to follow the example of those that God has placed over in your life. And if you can't do that, if you don't even believe we have a relationship with Jesus, you have to. I would believe that those are the two ways that we leave a church. When, when we see a false gospel being taught, 
When the gospel's at stake, we have to leave a church. When the pastor is acting in an immoral and unethical way, or we doubt the salvation of the pastor himself, we should leave that church, even if it's this church. That would be the best thing for our souls. If we were actually not believers, that might come as a stark warning. You cannot remain in a church where the pastor's not preaching the gospel and when the preacher's not living the gospel. You can't stay. So we start with prayer and evaluation. We ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in our hearts the things that he would like to bring out, that he would like to refine. And while we're doing that, we have to ask some of these other questions. Is this heresy? Is this a moral issue? And if it is, then we have to go this one way. And if it's not, it's kind of like, okay, then now what? If it's not a gospel-centered issue and the pastor is just, it's not immoral, it's not unethical, it's just a difference of opinion, it's a difference of interpretation, now what? How do we live then? How do we look at this then? I would point you back to prayer, and then this is another question. It, It filters straight through. Before I approach my pastor, and then I would maybe even underline this, or anyone else, have I prayed about this? Before I approach my pastor or anyone else, have I prayed? You know, this, this step um, will save you many, many times. I guess here would be my question is, does the Holy Spirit get your first and unfiltered thoughts? Do you allow him to soften you to prepare you, to give you wisdom where you may lack it? Or do you run and blurt your hot takeout as quickly as you can? What if we employed this question with our spouse too? Have I prayed about this? Or I blurted something out? With our employer, with our neighbor, with our children? What if we prayed first? What if our our words and our thoughts and our emotions were filtered through the Holy Spirit first? James 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I think the only reason we wouldn't pray for wisdom first is if we think we already have it. I love examples like Moses when the Egyptian army's closing in on him and the Hebrews. I mean, whenever, when you think about this, an army is coming after you. There's a, that's a bit of time-sensitive thing, right? Hey, Moses, we got to go. And instead of running, instead of reacting, he's like, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're going to pray. I mean, there's story after story after story in Scripture when the king issues a decree Instead of Daniel just responding and reacting, he prays. When Paul and Silas are in prison, they pray. When the king's advisors began to plot to kill all the Jews, Esther prayed. When the Canaanites were closing in, Deborah prayed. Instead of taking Saul's life when he had the chance, 
He prayed. In these moments of like very high emotion, intense, time-sensitive things, I think sometimes we think, oh, we got to go in there and we got to do the thing. But I think the Lord would honor us and honor our position and our posture if we said, whoa, 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 whoa. Before I respond, before I react, I need a minute to pray. I just need a minute to pray. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've disagreed with someone and prayer has been the answer. Prayer has saved me from embarrassing myself so many times. Without prayer, I would have lashed out and looked like a complete fool. But prayer stopped me from reacting to someone else and enabled me to respond to the Spirit. You know, most of the time, most often, when my emotions get high and I pray first, the Spirit just says, let it go. I hate that. I don't want to let it go. I don't want to not say anything. I mean, I want to correct the incorrectness. I want my opinion and my preference to be heard and saw and seen So many times, whether it's with one of my pastors or a friend, a neighbor, or my wife, most often he says, let it go. He lets me engage probably one out of 10 times. And then even then he takes my flesh out of it. I just, I, I, like, I want to go sometimes, right? And it's like that one time where he says, okay, lovingly and patiently. I'm like, lovingly and patiently? Give me one. If we stopped and prayed, it would be better for our relationships. It would be better for your marriage. It would be better for your job. It would be better for your children. It would be better for your neighbor. It would be better for our church if you stopped and prayed. Second question. Before I express my disagreement, what questions should I ask for clarity? Before I express my disagreement, what questions should I ask for clarity? This is one of my favorite just life lessons. Questions first, accusations second. Questions first communicate a humble posture whose goal is to understand. Statements or accusations first communicate a person who's already made up their mind. And if that's the case, they don't want a discussion, they want an argument. If there's no questions, there's no point in having a discussion. James 3, verse 13 says it this way. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show his good behavior and his deeds and gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom that is is not coming down from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. Watch this. But where there's wisdom from above, it's pure and peaceable and gentle and reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, wavering without hypocrisy. This is the, this is the posture of someone who comes into a disagreement with some wisdom. It's peaceable and gentle and respe- it's respectable. I love that word. It's respectable, reasonable, full of mercy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what scripture is saying is there is when we enter in this disagreement, there's this posture in which we enter in. And the posture can be very arrogant and proud and haughty and just, I can't wait to tell you that thing. Scripture says that actually is demonic. That kind of posture, he says, is demonic. The posture that says is godly is this, gentle, it's peaceable, it's reasonable. You know what that looks like? It looks like entering into this discussion with this posture. Can you tell me more about how the elders came to this position? Can you tell me about how you guys have prayed about this? Can you tell me your thoughts or maybe some information that I'm not aware of? It's very gentle, peaceable, reasonable. Next question. Through this passage, can I communicate my opinion or concern peaceably, gently, and reasonably? Can I communicate my opinion peaceably, gently, and reasonably? And if the answer is not yet, then you should pause and pray more. When we enter into a disagreement, before we communicate our opinion, we should communicate it through or know that we can communicate it through in this way, peaceably, gently, and reasonably. So we ask ourselves the question, am I ready to engage in this conversation yet? Have I allowed, have I killed the emotion in my posture or in my position to be able to speak gently, peaceably, and reasonably? So when we do, we communicate our disagreement, we communicate our thing, and this was gonna steer us back to the church specifically, Once we communicate that disagreement, maybe we continue to disagree. Have you ever been there with your spouse where you say, agree to disagree? I'll never forget the moment. I think my middle child, Levi, I think he was five or something like that. I can't even remember what it was, but he wanted something and we said no. And he literally at five, he goes, agree to disagree. (laughs) Like that is not the context for this circumstance, right? But there's no agreeing to disagree here, bud. We've all been there, right? We've, we've all been in a relationship or a situation where it's, you have your opinion, I have mine. So now the question is, now what? The culture would say, cancel and leave. Cancel and leave. Go somewhere else. But that's not church. That's not community. That's not family. So how do we move through? I would, I would ask you to ask this question. Do I trust that my pastors have prayed about this decision? 
do I trust that my pastors have prayed about this decision? One of the most honoring things that Jana does for me as a husband is when we're facing a difficult circumstance, she asks a question, have you prayed about this? Have you prayed about this? It's not, a, it's not an accusation. It's not a, I need to check up on you. How, how often? What'd you say? What did you do? How did you pray? It's, it's none of that. It's, have you prayed about this? And asking that question when I say yes, and here's what I feel like the Lord's telling me. It's as if like her, her ability to trust in my leadership at that moment is increased, I mean, over and over and over and over again because she trusts that I'm praying about it. I would encourage you, there's nothing more honoring, there's nothing more honoring for your pastor that when you ask the question, have you prayed about this? And then you say, then I'm gonna trust. Did you guys listen to uh, CJ and Lauren's podcast a couple of weeks ago on exchanging stories? Man, what a story. They tell their story about a couple of years. They, they disagreed adamantly about something. And the Holy Spirit just said to CJ, hey, engage Lauren on this. And he asked the question, he asked the question, do you believe that our pastors have prayed about this? He said, yes. And it completely changed. And he said, then we need to be there. Then we need to be there. It changes the story. I think so often we think, well, I've prayed about this too, and I'm getting a different answer. That may be true, but that's the place that God is calling you to submit. That's the moment that God is, is, call, is, is asking you to submit to the authority that he's placed over you in that moment. Remember, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes in that moment, that's the moment that God wants to do the most in us, to refine us, to reform us. And so then this is the question, right? What if, what if we prayed about it? What if they say they've prayed about it? We, we have this difference of opinion. Here's the last question that I would ask you to ask. Am I willing to biblically submit to the authority that God has placed in my life? Am I willing to do that? So your answer might be no, I'm not willing to do that. I want, I want, to, I want to be careful here, but I want to be clear here. If it's not a gospel-centered issue, if the gospel is not at stake, there's not heresy being taught, if the pastors aren't immoral or unethical, with all the nuances, right? and it's a difference of opinion, and we answer, no, I will not do this. Your first refusal to submit then is to scripture. Your second is to the authority that God has placed in your life. That's The first is scripture. God is asking me to do this. Second would be to your pastor or to any authority that God has placed in your life. Am I willing to biblically submit to the authority that God has placed in my life? And so here's how you would do that. If you still disagree, 
If you still disagree and you answer, yes, I am willing, but I need help. How do I do that? A few commitments. I commit to pray for my pastor and the subject at hand. I commit to pray for him at the subject at hand. So your, your, your prayers can help shape your heart and your posture, or they can feed it also, right? So you could pray things like this. God, would you hurry up and show him that he's wrong? Would you quickly reveal to them, the elders, how ridiculous this circumstance is? Or you pray for them in the subject of hand. God, this is still heavy on my heart. I trust that they've prayed about it. Would you help give them wisdom? Commit to pray for your own heart. God, my heart is, I wake up in the morning with this thing turning around and it's hard for me throughout the day. Would you help soften me? Commit to to pray for the success of their plan. Man, that's a tough one. God, I would do it differently. I'd do it differently. The elders here, the pastors here have decided to go in this direction. Would Would you give them wisdom and would you help that plan succeed? Commit to coming alongside of them however you can. Helping in that plan. I love this. Commit to helping others learn to trust and submit to their pastors. This is a good one. Commit to helping others trust and submit to their pastors. So let me offer you a scenario, maybe a parable uh, where uh, a husband and wife, they have uh, three, four children, and they, uh, they are, have a life-changing decision ahead of them. They have a life-changing decision ahead of them, and um, the husband and wife disagree, harshly disagree. But the wife honors Scripture she asks, honors her husband and says, have you prayed about this? Like, I'm going to give you all my reasons why I disagree, but have you prayed about this? And the husband says, listen, I, I've, I've poured out before the Lord constantly about this. I know we disagree. I want to honor you in this, but I really feel like the Lord is leading our family in this way. And she says, I trust you. I trust you and I want to follow you. Okay, so she submits. Then she goes to her children and says, I'm, I'm really sorry your dad has made this decision. That must be hard, isn't it? I mean, the way that he made this decision is just, I can't. I, sometimes I wonder if he loves you. Is that submission? No. It's the act of submission with words. But the posture is very different. We would all say, in in that scenario, in that scenario, we would all say that person is wrong 
and maybe actually beginning to destroy the family. Right? That, that actually does more damage when our hearts refuse to help others submit as well. Lastly, we commit to not keep score. Did you know that we're not perfect? We're not perfect. And so sometimes we're wrong. And so we can have the posture. I mean, what would it be like for you and your spouse to every time you disagreed about something, they, they went one way to say like, you know, the see, I told you so. Told you so. So. We just like these subtle gestures. It, we destroy the relationship. So sometimes I, I would say when we get it wrong, let us apologize. Let us move on. Let us press forward. And then let's leave what's behind behind. I think when we commit to pressing on together, we commit to not keeping score. A.W. Tozer, probably one of my favorite theologians of all time, he says this. The reason why so many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying desperately to give orders and interfering with God's work in us through others. So often, I think what he's saying is this, when we feel like we just keep hitting brick wall after brick wall, that brick wall might actually be me. Might actually be me. If I just get out of the way and say, you know what, I don't like it, but I'm gonna do it God's way. He honors that. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is difficult, you know that or else you wouldn't have put it so many times in Scripture and asked us to do it, and also uh, you wouldn't have demonstrated it. But it's a way that the church moves on and it accomplishes your mission. And so, Lord, I pray that you would honor our commitment to do this well. Lord, I pray for those of us in the room who this is especially difficult because of past circumstances. Lord, that you would allow us to move forward in a way that honors you. Lord, I pray that, that maybe even in this moment where there might be uh, some with, with uh, just disagreements, Lord, I pray that you would settle those things, that you would resolve those things. I pray that we would use your blueprint for our lives and for this church. God, draw us to repentance where it's needed. Help us, Lord Jesus, to honor you in the ways and in the times where we are certain to disagree. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray.